4: Welcome, everyone, to the Really 007 podcast for this special episode focusing on a very exciting new Bond book, James Bond's DB5. Now, to celebrate the release of this fascinating, detailed, glossy, and essential book, we're joined by Mr. Ben Robinson from the publishers Hero Collector Books. Good evening, Mr. Robinson. Good evening. Good evening. <laughs> now, there are various places you can find our podcast to listen in and follow, including YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify along with our website on the PodDojo network. Thank you for sharing, rating and recommending our episodes. We can also be found on social media at Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Special shout out tonight to prominent Bond fan and good friend of mine, Mr. Phil Argyle. Thank you for your support, sir. So tonight we are joined by uh, our good friend from Cinema Savvy, George Aldred, who is a massive fan of Bond cars, I know that, and the Aston Martin DB5 in particular. Good evening, good evening. George. how are we? Very well. And do I do understand you have a, a miniature D B five at Yes,
5: hand. I do. I, it's behind me on a shelf. I know this is audio, but I've had a bit of a redecorating and <laughs> I went to the for the fiftieth anniversary, there was an incredible uh, museum at Bewley, I think, before it moved to London with all the cars and you know, the Sky for a Year and I picked up a little D B five and it's sat on that shelf ever since for nine years and yeah, it's uh, what what a beautiful car. Not that I could ever afford a real one. Maybe one day win a lottery, who knows? <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah. They're not um, enough of them about either for, for all of us, either. there's very few. Yeah, so good to have you, George, here. But, of course, we are delighted to introduce Ben, who has worked with E.ON for 17 years, I believe, on various projects.
6: Yeah, and I think also,
4: so. Yeah, yeah. And, and you've also contributed to, well, you, you've written and edited, is it The 50 Greatest Bond Cars and an upcoming book called The James Bond Film Guide?
6: Uh, yes, I can't take too much credit for the film guide. I'm I'm, I'm the publisher, so that... But my, in my former life, I used to run a collection of uh, Bond cars. I don't know if people remember that, like die-cast cars that came with the magazine. So, yeah, yeah I did that for, oh, 135 Bond cars we did, yeah. So um, I've been around Bond and and Bond cars in particular for a long time. Absolutely
4: wonderful, yeah. It's, it's an area we've not explored too much because I think the films we've reviewed so far certainly haven't really featured the the db5 i think only skyfall is the one we've, we've mentioned it quite a lot in that was the big return of it and we will go into that as we go along just to sort of get a bit of background into you ben were you a bond fan growing up
6: oh yeah i mean i think almost every man in this country we always used to laugh about doing focus groups for bond it's like go and find me some bond fans it's like oh well, let's just stop some people on the street um uh, <laughs> But yeah no I grew up with the films and then obviously I was very very lucky to to get to start working with Eon it was just before Casino Royale I remember going to see to see that when it came out uh with eon you know we went to like the the partner screening for it yeah i was very excited to see the reboot from that and then i've worked with them ever since then actually so i guess it was probably about a year before casino came out that i started working with them
4: so how do you get from that journey of being a bond fan growing up seeing the db5 and other cars in goldfinger whatever and uh well Goldeneye, of course it came back in but how do you go from that to being involved (laughs)
6: <laughs> that's a very good question um, I, I honestly don't know the answer um, uh, a lot of good luck a lot of um, you know happy accidents I mean I I work on a lot of different um, licensed entertainment so I've worked on uh, we do a lot of Star Trek stuff Doctor Who, Transformers oh uh, I my mean, god the list goes on and on and on um, and we were lucky enough that uh, you know, Eon were happy enough with what we do to, to let us be part of the family it's absolutely wonderful
4: and the, the hero collector books you, you've done so many already and you've you've got a
6: few more in the pipeline that's right yeah i mean bond is uh this is our well last year it was our first bond book i mean the idea was that the books would all come out more or less around the film and then the film didn't come out when we were expecting it to so we've been uh, waiting patiently like everybody else to to see it so, yeah, so we did the 50 Greatest Bond Cars, which is a, a kind of complete selection of Bond cars. It's, it's, a, it's a kind of – it's a family book, I would say. You know, it's not like the most detailed book about each car. We did that. That came out last November and uh, still doing quite nicely for Christmas. Actually, I'm very pleased to see people still buying that. And then the, the DB5 book, because we, we had done this big build-up model of the DB5 so I I knew that car literally knew that car inside and out um, and we'd always you know wanted to do more with it and we kept talking to Eon about it and and they wanted to do a book about the DB5 so when uh, when No Time to Die went into production, they came to, they said to us, Well, if you want to do a book, this is the one we'd like you to do. That's so good. So you must have
4: known that it was gonna feature prominently in No Time to Die then.
6: They did say, You might want to do the D B five. It's gonna be gonna be <laughs> one of the stars of the film. Yes. Gosh. So I mean they obviously gave us their heads up about that. So it must have been quite odd in this two-year wait, sort of
4: waiting and waiting to release the. I know that's happened with a lot of tie-in things and journalists who've written
6: articles and things like this. It's it's very odd time, wasn't it? It has been very strange. I mean, particularly, I mean, because um, obviously, without wanting to spoil the film, there you is can a, give spoilers, Ben. Don't surprises don't <laughs> at the end. Um, there are things that happen in this Bond film that yes. don't happen in any other Bond film for sure. And they actually, Eon was so sensitive about that that they didn't even tell us. About it. They were like, well, the DB5's, you know, it's in the first 20 minutes of the film. And after that, you don't have to worry about what happens. Yes. Um, and then when we were doing the film guide, it was even more hush hush because they were like, okay, well, you can put No Time to Die in there, but we can't tell you anything about what happens in it. You'll have to sort of, we had to sort of do it in a kind of secret, uh, a secret loop where Will, who was writing the book, was like the only one who was allowed to know uh, what happened. Right. So I actually, you know, I saw the film for the first time in the Albert Hall with
5: you know all those assembled people one thing i really want to quickly mention sorry to to backpack you mentioned the the magazine was that the 100 issue mm-hmm. build the db5 because i remember that as a kid obviously kids don't get those kind of sets but you hit you hit an age when you're older because i did the build the millennium falcon and I, i've sat here ever since saying are they going to re-release the build the db5 one day so I'm, i've got my fingers crossed my wallet isn't but i am
6: it's it's available in america i'm I'm afraid that's not much comfort to you it's it's a very tricky thing once you've made it you you have the whole thing about turning the tools on and then turning them off and all that kind of stuff so um we, we're currently available in america um not anywhere else in the world at the moment so uh if you're prepared to relocate to uh the united states then i can set you up with a subscription
4: will was going to come on actually originally so the, the two authors are will and simon aren't they yeah, they just did not want to. you.
0: They're
4: very busy men, but thank you for coming on, Ben. But do you sort of have the general idea for it? And then they're the ones who go in and they, they've been visiting the sets, uh, particularly of no time to haven't they?
6: Yeah. So, well, Will was the – so w- what happened was I came to – we had the conversation with Ian. And I sat down with my designer, Steve, who's the art director on this book, and we plotted the book. So I worked out what was going to be in the book. We looked, we had all the photography that we got from Eon, looked around to see what else was available. We'd done, you'll see there's like a lot of uh, kind of little photo essays of the car sprinkled throughout the book where you get to see it in loving detail, as they would always say. Yeah, That was a shoot that we had done when we were doing the build-up model, which we'd done using Eon's car just after, I'm trying to think, was it after The World Is Not Enough, I think, but it was before; it's the pre Casino Royale one because we had all these kind of little continuity questions. we were like, going, "Oh, it's not the same as it is in Casino." Yeah. So, uh, or maybe it was post Casino. I can't remember. I can't remember. But anyway, that's Eon's car that we shot that was in there. So I I plotted it out with Steve, worked out what the content was going to be, and then Will and Simon came in and wrote the actual content. Okay. Um, and they kind of divided it up a bit between them. So Will was already Will came to us via Eon, so he was already on set at that point he was already doing lots of stuff for them and had done it on the last couple of films um so that was great because obviously we weren't in a position to sort of jump in a plane and fly to matera to see the book yeah. so he was already there so that that helped and then simon did a lot of the but it's a big book obviously so simon was yeah. doing a lot of the, the research on the the older stuff as well i mean i've just got it here
4: with me it's it's almost as big as my my body this is <laughs> but it's going to be great under the Christmas tree, I think for many people. But in terms of the actual structure of the book, it goes, obviously the Aston Martin DB5, it does feature a little bit on some of the other Aston Martins, but at the end, Mm -hmm. but it's mainly on the DB5. And of course it's appeared straight from Goldfinger right through to No Time to Die. And obviously there's been a lot of films which it hasn't been used for. And it had a big hiatus, but it's like I said, this, this book is incredible. It's, a must-have book, I think, for all Bond fans, and I was delighted to to receive it. And it's also got um, a section on the replica toys and models because so many people knew the car. I think I first knew the car through the toy rather
6: than seeing Goldfinger, I think. So I think that's been incredible as well. I think that's very true. When we did the big model... You know, I was always like this is like the grown-up version of the Corgi toy that you you had when you were a kid. You yeah. know, I mean the big model has, you know, it does have you can pull the overriders out and you can push the push the gear lever to make the uh, ejector seat come out. You can pop up the bulletproof shield. We it doesn't drop caltrops out of the back, but it you know the the, <laughs> the light assembly at the back tilts down, so you know it could theoretically spray oil in your face. Um, it does <laughs> There was one one prototype was on
4: um, this morning I saw and and they I think it was one which had been rebuilt and sort of built specifically by a designer. It wasn't one that was using the films, but they're sort of they are selling them, aren't they, to sort of people who want them. They have like fake machine guns. And yeah. If
6: you, uh, well, yes. If you've got three million pounds. Um... Yeah, it was. Uh, they said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a chapter on that in the book. So yeah. they, they're called the continuation DB5s and Aston Martin are making, they've made 25 of them for very special customers, obviously, well outside my reach. Yeah, they've made it as close as they possibly can. I mean, one of the stories you'll see in the book is that when Eon had finished with the DB5 in Goldfinger, uh, they sent it back to Aston Martin, who who fixed it. By which they mean, I mean, they stripped out all the gadgets and they they put the roof back on. They you know no hole for an ejector seat in it, um, and they were all set to sell it again, um, and then it got called back into service. But yeah, nobody nobody thought that uh, it was going to be you know
5: such a big deal. I, th- I think as well with the DB five, it, it's the it's the defining image, and when you look at all these franchises, you know, I'm just going to grab Star Wars at the top of my head. Defining image is something like a lightsaber. It's fictional. And yet, with Bond, Mm -hmm. the fact it's it's a real car that was available at the time, and as mentioned in the book, the history going back to the Ian Fleming's works of previous models, we look at it sort of you know almost sixty years on now, in this era of you know that defining image of Connery by the car, and I think what's been incredible for me, who's you know grown up, I'd say the Brosnan and the Craig era that wasn't big on cars when they're younger and I'm not massively on them but when someone says Aston Martin I think of Bond and everything that comes with it I'm into my Formula One so Aston Martin going in the sport was a big thing again because it's the Bond connections I think they named a car after Honey Rider as well and I think it's been incredible to to look back at it and and seeing a book like this as well where it it gives people like a a new viewpoint into it it's just such a synonymous image with Bond and as well with no time side the timing of I know we'll get into it later but it's like a beautiful way to bookmark it that we got to see it not just as a as a road piece we got to see an action sequence with it shot so well
6: yeah i mean I think there's if you think about it there's no other um, certainly no other car that is as closely associated with a with a single character or franchise. I suppose there's the DeLorean in Back to the Future, I guess. But, you know, there are only three of those films. And, you you know, lots of people buy DeLoreans and try to turn them into time machines. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, work. That, that's even harder than adding Machine Gun to, to your DB5. Yeah, I mean, I think, and it is, it's also, it's a kind of um, a metaphor for Bond himself. You know, that the Bond and the DB5, when we are writing the introduction, it's like, you know, that they're, they're both this kind of classic, British, powerful, muscular, stylish, desirable, you know, thing. I guess yeah, I guess bond is a thing. Um yeah. five certainly is. So they, you know, they do work really, really well together and it's sort of like a perfect blending of of car and car and star. If you will, and and of course it, it only comes about as you in the third Bond film. You know, the first two Bond films, he basically doesn't really have a car. He's you know he has a a, a hire car and a, a taxi in um in Doctor No, and then in From Rush with Love, he's it's all you know gondolas and trains.
4: <laughs> I, I think it's amazing that of course it was in the book Goldfinger, which is 1959. So. They had license to put it in there. But the car in the book is pretty different to what they created. I mean, Ken Adam, we go on about him so much on our podcast. He's an absolute genius. And then you've got the special effects supervisor, John Steers, and his team. But it's, it's them who have sort of turned it, along with Aston Martin, the, of course, the designers, into this. The iconic is the word. We're saying it so often, but
6: that is the only word you can use to describe it. It's incredible. <laughs> Yeah, and Ken Adam was instrumental in persuading them to to get the DB five because I am trying to remember. I haven't read Goldfinger for years. There's a reference to Bond having an Aston Martin in. Um, oh, no, I forgot the name of the film Moonraker. Uh, not, in, yes, not in the yeah. not in the film Moonraker, the book, but in the book yeah. Moonraker is when when Fleming's Bond has an Aston Martin, but it was it was really Ken Adam who had seen the DB five at uh, at a trade show, at a car an automotive show, and pushed. To have it, um, and they they had quite a sort of hard time persuading Aston Martin to lend them a car for a film because Aston had had bad experiences with doing that in the past, and and Bond was you know I mean Bond was uh, you know a thing by then for sure, but it was Goldfinger that turned it into this kind of incredible phenomenon.
4: I couldn't believe all the things that were sort of designed as it went along. You know, there were so many ideas people had. So Guy Hamilton, the director, he had the idea of the revolving number plates.
6: Then, yeah because he got parking tickets
4: yeah exactly yeah. it's absolutely <laughs> incredible isn't it what yeah. <laughs> mr Boone would do isn't it That's, uh, and then and then you've got the spokes which you know because ben hur was was popular you know just a few years earlier there's there's so many things into it? it al capone's car had the the oil slick and the smoke screen it's just incredible
6: oh the other thing about it is that um, you'll see in the book they there are a couple of things in the car that never made it into the film so it, it has a telephone in the driver's door, you know, like a, a regular telephone, not a mobile phone <laughs> with, yeah. a, with a, you know, a cable on it. And then he also has like a, there's like a drawer under the driver's seat that has a sniper rifle. So you actually see them, you know, you, actually, you, know, you see Tilly's sniper rifle, but he, he has it in there and he has a grenade and a, a sort of pistol that converts into a sniper rifle. But they never made it into the film. Where's
2: my Bentley? Oh, he's headed today, I'm afraid but it's never let me down. M's like orders, it. 007. You'll be using this Aston Martin DB5 with modifications. Now, pay attention, please. Windscreen bulletproof. That's are the side and the rear windows. Revolving number plates naturally. Valid all countries. Here's a nice little transmitting device called a Homer. You prime it by pressing that back like this. You see? The smaller model is now standard field issue, to be fitted into the heel of your shoe. Its larger brother is magnetic. Right. To be concealed in the car you're trailing, while you keep out of sight. Reception. On the dashboard here. Auto visual, range 150 miles.
6: Ingenious and useful too. Allow a man to stop off for a quick one en on route.
2: It has not been perfected out of years of patient research entirely for that purpose, 007. And incidentally, we'd appreciate its return, along with all your other equipment. Intact for once when you return from the field. Well,
6: you'd be surprised the amount of wear and tear that goes on out there in the field. Anything
2: else? Well, I won't keep it for more than an hour or so if you give me your undivided attention. We've installed some rather interesting modifications. You see this arm here? Now open the top and inside are your defense mechanism controls. Smoke screen, oil slick, rear bulletproof screen, and left and right front wing machine guns. Now this one I'm particularly keen about. You see the gear lever here? Now if you take the top off, you'll find a little red button. Whatever you do, don't touch it. No, why not? Because you'll release this section of the roof and engage and fire the passenger ejector seat. Ejector seat, you're joking. I never joke about my work, 007.
4: There are some gadgets, of course, that we don't we don't see, do we? There's, I mean, there's the... We see the ejector seat, which is the one that everyone sort of remembers it most for, I think. And you've got the plants in the queue scene, you know, ejector seat, you're joking, which is another iconic line that everyone will remember. But the fact that we get to see it, because when it came back to Goldeneye... Q sort of told us about missiles weren't there and stuff but I think it was either the budget or the production schedule meant he couldn't quite fit it into the film which always left a bit of a sad taste in the
6: mouth I would have loved to have seen those being used by Bob oh, well there's a time and a place for everything um, I mean there are a few not, not a DB5 but there's a, in um, Diamond there's a a kind of a tiny scene of DBS in the background having this enormous yes. rocket pack lent into into where yes. the engine should go. You're sort of wondering, I wonder how it's going to drive with that. But <laughs> there you go. That is weird, isn't it? Yeah. Can you remember
4: when was the first time you
5: saw Goldfinger, George? I mean, it must have made a mark. So, Goldfinger is a fascinating one. The, I always call it the ITV films. You know, when you're younger and they're just, you don't know the age you were, but you have definitive images from a film goldfinger i always remember being when she turned into gold at the start but it wasn't until i was probably ironically around the time casino rail came out and i didn't know it was a db5 in casino Royale. i was only 10 when that film came out i'd love the, the the vantage from dying of the day i know i defend that film a lot but you know six years old seeing a car flip with an ejector seat was an incredible experience oh. and I think as the years went by and I went to the older ones more, I think I was more attracted to just the the look of the DB5, which I don't normally get with cars. I wasn't ever keen on the gadgets at a young age. It was actually always the design of it. And I think because I had a Bond car I loved that was essentially a gadget with with the Vantage, it was really interesting as I got older and, as said, more into my F1 stuff, more into film, into Bond. I kept going back to Goldfinger more and more, and I think the car is such a defining reason of why I enjoy that film. And that's a really silly thing to say, but I think that's where I feel with it. That it's, it's just so defining. And then obviously at my previous job, I worked at Pinewood, walking down Goldfinger Avenue, sort of every day going to the shop, knowing that that was where the, the famous car sequence was filmed. It's just grown on me as the years have gone by. And it's really fascinating one because it's, it's by a country of mine, my favorite Bond car. And I just think it's, it's interesting seeing the resurgence of it. I know we'll speak about the Craig here in a bit, but I think having it, Come up in more modern films has really helped because without getting into that gap between thunderball and and Goldeneye, I've had this sort of this sort of thoughts that when you have these classic cars, there's there's a window between them coming classic, they can be iconic instantly. But let's we know that Roger Moore never had an Aston Martin, and it's a shame, and I know people speak about that, but he would have been so timely, it's sort of you know seven, eight years later, it doesn't make the car. Yeah. That modern, if that makes sense. It's not old enough to be deemed a classic car. And I think by not having him in that, giving him the Lotus, which is a wonderful car as well, when you get to Brosnan, I think the DB5's become such an iconic image. You can afford to to go back into the past and make it this classic car. And I think that's what I found really interesting with this legacy that time passed and it's just improved it. And I think them taking it into the into story reasons in the more modern films, I think it's really evoked how important this fil- this car is to the franchise and I think that's where I kind of stand with it that everything to me and not just with, with this but the where Bond went on to become Goldfinger is essential to all of it and for him to get that car I, I, I'm not saying the car's a part of that but it is certainly the bigger picture of everything that ever came together for that franchise of that film the DB5 is a is one of the important reasons for that
4: and It's a British in- institution now isn't it the fact that it was a British car I know Lotus as well but when it culminated in Skyfall, when everyone was loving Britain a bit more than they do at the moment, perhaps. But uh, it, it sort of all culminated, didn't it? With the, of course, the Olympics opening ceremony and the Adele song was massive. And then you reintroduce the the DB5 and a return to sort of the classic Bond elements. I think it was done perfectly. And that's why you've now, like you say, George, it's become classic as opposed to just another Bond car that, that Sean Connery used. And pierce used a couple of times
6: i was just gonna say but it was a phenomenon uh, straight out of the gate I mean, yeah you, you guys are quite young
4: we're, um, yeah we are <laughs> we're
6: but around. um you know it, when you when goldfinger comes out that car you know the corgi toy that comes out suddenly becomes the most successful toy in the world yeah. you know everybody sees it and they go, like, "Oh, how great how cool i'm one one and then and then that toy plays a major part in the car becoming such a big deal i mean you know it's in it's in thunderball Obviously, because it, they they want to bring it back, but it's not in Thunderbolt that much. I mean, it's you know, it's it's a couple of scenes. Um and then it gets you know it gets replaced. I mean, uh, well, I mean the most incredibly beautiful uh, Toyota two thousand GT in uh, in you only live twice. But then you know when he when Bond's back in Britain, he's in a in a DBS rather than in a DB5. So the DB five. So you're absolutely right. It's like it was it was no longer the latest car. You know, it was so new in Goldfinger that you couldn't actually get one. It's actually the the car that they drove is the prototype it's the very first db5 but yeah it's it it is it instantly became an essential part of bond i think
4: because there was two on there to certainly to start with and then there was two later there's a prototype one with all the gadgets and then there's one that
6: used for the exterior shots yeah they took one so what happened was they took the one for the exterior shots to switzerland which didn't have all the gadgets in um i mean when you look at where goldfinger was filmed it's extraordinary it's like it's you know it's they did a little bit of filming in florida they did a little bit of filming in switzerland and the rest of it is filmed in you know just around london so it's filmed in (laughs) linewood or at stoke Poges or uh, you know um all those places so they had the the road car that went out to, to Switzerland, to the to the Furka Pass. And then it actually had a, developed a few little problems. So they had to bring out the stunt car. Um And if you're a real, if real geeky, you can spot the little differences between it, like the the GB plate that appears and disappears on the back in different shots.
4: <laughs> no, I love all that stuff. <laughs> but you are right. It, it, it then went on a world tour, didn't it? So, it, I mean, it, just think how popular that is to have to do that. And that necessitated the... The, the demand for it to be in Thunderbolt, it? which is only a year later.
6: This is how quickly they can film. Well, I, yeah, I mean, they were making a Bond film every year then. And the other thing that's extraordinary about it is that uh, because they literally had to make prints. So, you know, there were only so many celluloid reels going around the world showing a Bond film. It could take a year from it being originally released in one country to uh, still being shown in another country when the next film was out. So, you know, by the time Thunderbolt had been released in the UK, there were places in America that were just getting to see Goldfinger for the first time. Um, it's incredible, yeah. And that tour is an extraordinary thing because, I mean, again, you didn't have the sort of instant global media that we have today. So they had these these cars, which were not exactly identical to the one in Goldfinger. You know, going around America and they would get like driven into the middle of your town or city and all these crowds would come to look at it and they'd demonstrate all the gadgets.
5: And, you know, that it was just like a kind of circus coming to town. It was extraordinary. And I think as well with the sort of the marketing, jumping again to sort of today, if you look at No Time to Die, I'd argue genius marketing putting at the forefront because it's, it's the opening 20 minutes of the film and that was a way for them to protect so much of what came later on in that film. It's a long yeah. film as well, mm-hmm. which the fact they're able to cover so much, then even still you, you sat there on the opening night and you watched that and there were still set pieces with Aston Martin that we hadn't seen or wouldn't know. Or I think when you've seen a trailer so many dozens of times from being at the cinema or seeing online and it was still an incredible action set piece to see it. And I think not only was it because of how good it was on film, but seeing how they've marketed it and, has been a conversation I've seen a lot of people have recently saying, you know, has the DB five been around too much? Are they marketing it too much? And I, I kind of want to just ask both of you that in truth, that because I personally think it's so synonymous to the franchise that every, it's a marketing tool, but the use of it in the film isn't a, it's in it for three seconds and we've said it's going to be in it. This was a genuine remarking because it is a key point
4: because the, the Daniel Craig here is more, into, you know, it's, it's it covers a, a smaller period of time. And essentially, you've got the two, the first two, and I know it isn't in it, it's in quantum, really. But the okay, aside from the Skyfall, which is set, I suppose, some years later, Spectre and No Time to Die are essentially yeah. when material is, is straight after, isn't it? So you, you, it's not like you're going back to the same thing every few years and sort of re-emphasizing. It. I, th- I think it was perfectly fine to, to, to do that, and it, and it worked well in the film. And you're right. Once you, you've had that amazing set piece, there's no need to sort of use it again because you want to give audience audiences wanting more, specifically with the cars, because we get to see an awful lot of it this time. And I think apart from Gold, Goldfinger, this is the most we've seen, isn't it? An yeah, action, definitely. In action. And it's just, it's like, yes, finally, we get to see a bit more of it doing what it does and, and some gadgets, which in the Daniel Craig era haven't been as prevalent, particularly the cars, because in... Casino Real, it's bought as a, you know, on on the bet, on the on the casino table. And of course it's not used, it wouldn't be appropriate to use all those gadgets then. All in.
1: No way.
5: 20,000.
3: Table stakes, I'm sorry, sir.
5: Okay. This is on the table.
0: That's my car. Wanna bet?
3: I'm sorry, Mr. Demetrius.
0: Please, no. Give him a chance to win his money back.
3: All right, show me, gentlemen. Hmm. Three kings, trip aces.
0: Oh, and the man I
4: took it. and it's sort of weaved into the story. To, I assume that in the background, Q has been working on it for him, and he's been demanding
6: all these little things, which which works as well. So, yeah, it's also it's it's very sort of symbolic of Bond and his story. You know, there's the, the I think if you go back to Casino Royale, there's the like the the music cue when he gets the DB five. It's like this is when he starts to become Bond. Or yeah. seven, or however you want to look at it, oh, and then okay. you know when it, it. If you think in Skyfall, the car is destroyed, and the same se- effectively the same long sequence where M is killed. You know, and then it's all about restoration. You know, in in Spectre, so that you know he he gets the car and he goes off to this new life. But then, when the car is destroyed at the beginning of No Time to Die, it's also the end of an old life. So his life as Bond is, yeah. you know, his life
5: as Bond is kind of over at that point, And it goes with the car and and Madeline. And I, I think it's a really fascinating point as well, because I, I know there's been discussions as to people think, you know, would Spectre have been the last Craig film? I think regardless of people's thoughts on him, the image of Bond retiring, driving off into the sunset with an Aston Martin DB5 with that theme... Was an incredible ending to do. And then, you know, he does come back. And how do you carry on from that? And it's a really smart way to then bring it back into the forefront. And the the sort of what I've seen online about this, the conversation with the D5, it's been really fascinating. And I think it's great that the car has had the spotlight again. And I think, especially with the Craig era, because of how big that 50th anniversary was, I know it was almost 10 years ago now. But as as you said earlier, Tom, with with the, the British public at the time of the Olympics, everything was sort of precision for that film that they did the right thing. Even the music cues to get the DB five in, I think it was well-earned and because there wasn't that much of it with Brosnan's era, it felt like there was still a bit of a gap. Whereas, so we don't know what's going to happen next, but if the next bond popped up on the opening scene of a DB five, it'd be like, Ooh, is this a bit soon? Cause we've just had it for so long with Craig. And I think it's such a fascinating discussion because of how integral it is to these films.
6: It is a really interesting thing. Of what makes Bond Bond? We know what are the essential elements. The if you, because Casino was very much an exercise in reducing the formula down to the point when you know it's still James Bond, but you've got rid of all those trappings you know he doesn't say bond james bond until the very end of the film and my god that got a round of applause when i saw it you know he he doesn't you know he in casino when he's you know he orders the vodka martini and the, the barman says shaken or stirred and he says i don't care you know so you you can get rid of all these things but there are also things that are just pleasing you know just just so satisfying for all of us who grew up watching bond with our dads you know i i always think that's such a a a big thing it's like uh it's kind of an emotional touch point for for so many men that you know this was this was our you know our thing you know and and thousands and thousands of people's thing but you know those moments like there's a bit in um, in skyfall when they're back in the in the old school kind of mi6 offices and it's got the padded door again and i was amazingly moved by that you know just yeah. like oh my god yeah. it's back i had forgotten about it I, I didn't even realize i'd missed it and i think that's the feeling you get every time you see the db5 it's like i hadn't realized how much i'd missed it so 007 lots to be done
4: Are you ready to get back to work?
6: With pleasure, M. With pleasure. Sooner or later, the new Bond will have to get a be fine Yeah, yeah.
4: You said going back to when you watch it with your dad, that's what Pierce Brosnan did, of course, wasn't it? And Goldfinger is his mm-hmm. favourite Bond film. And that had a massive impact on him. And to sort of have that in, back in... Well, what was it? Thirty years, wasn't it, since it had been in Thunderball? It's a heck of a long time. So when it came back, then it was a big thing. I know the the BMW, the Z three, was the sort of the main one that was selling for the film, but the Aston Martin that was the one sort of people were talking about coming into it, and to have again two of them, I think. But it's fascinating the the history behind it, and the book does go into it that some people think, oh, because it's got a slightly different number plate, the continuity is different, but. That was only because the other one wasn't available because it had been sold, I believe. So- and the
6: number plate wasn't available. That was the thing. Yeah, it was got, really yeah. difficult. Yeah, they couldn't get the number plate. They did eventually get it sorted out. But yes, I mean, it, it's. I think again with with Brosnan, you know, there was this desire to relaunch the franchise at the time, and you're trying to say this is Bond. You know, this is this is uh, 1990s Bond. I was, you know, and. And that continuity, you you know, it, it is very different. And you know, it does move the franchise forward, but it's still got those kind of touchstones and, and the D B five is one of the became from that point on, really, becomes
5: one of the biggest touchstones. And I th- I think as well, but when you look at Brosnan with the BMWs, it's it's not a slate against BMW, but when he gets that Aston Martin back in, it's more about the brand, I guess, more than the D B five, but when he gets dying of a day you want him to have an Aston Martin because we've not really seen him in one since Goldeneye. And I think that's the testimony of of that brand, of its importance to the franchise, that you know, I, I know people are going to have their thoughts on the invisible car stuff. Um, I don't mind it too much. I think, Tom, it was Lorenzo on the anniversary yeah. podcast that said, hey, people like a Lotus Esprit that can swim underwater, why not have an invisible car? The logic works, but <laughs> it, it's one of them where I just think that... you need it so much and even again with the craig ones i loved the dbs and again maybe it's 10 when casino rail came out you got the spinning stuff i remember the news articles for it breaking those records and i think it's just such an incredible testimony to how the two work and I, i think i've read before that the the way the deal is constructed with them is that they it's essentially free advertising for both that i don't think they pay aston martin for showing the cars vice versa i'm not sure on the logistics behind it but it's essentially post bmw so the two almost agreeing that it's best for both of us to have these films on
6: it's a very happy relationship now i mean i can tell you you know obviously we work with both aston martin and with with eon and they you know they do work very closely together and and you know it is it's just uh, it's just such a good fit for bond and as you say it's become kind of synonymous and um, I was particularly happy to see the DBS in No Time to Die as well. That, I mean, we're we're obsessed with
4: Timothy Dalton uh, as Bond, <laughs> and and that car, just him in the three piece suit in the, it's just so that that brought back more great memories as well. Um, but you, you mentioned the course Aston Martin, and the book has a foreword from Marriott Reichman, who's the chief creative officer, which I found quite interesting, and that that's a nice touch point into
6: the into the book. I think. Yeah, one of the lovely things actually is that we weren't allowed because obviously be we finished the book in time for the original release date. So the only person who has had a copy of this book is Marek. Uh, apparently what? has been on his uh, been on his coffee table in his office for the last two years. <laughs> uh, maybe not last two years, last year certainly. The, the the second time around, I think is when we sent it to. Him.
4: But it does show there's a lovely working relationship between Eon and Aston Martin, which uh, it's going to go on. Yeah. Of course, it is. I think that'll continue. I know well, there, there was a one in the background so briefly no time to die while well, i was on the phone wasn't it There's was a, mm. was a new one yeah
5: valhalla i believe i don't know if i'm going to quote this wrong so apologies but i'm sure i read that the original goal was to have bond drive it but i believe it was the prototype model because it's the first electric Aston martin and i believe they couldn't get it into london or something along those lines and
6: I think, I mean, I, I haven't gone, I haven't talked to them in detail about how the, the script evolved because obviously it was very hush hush. So, um, but my understanding at the time was that it was something that Aston Martin were very keen to have in the film and Eon were happy enough for it to appear. But they basically, this is the car sequence was at the beginning and they really wanted that to be the DB5. So you have had instances. I mean, you know, Nomi drives the. The, the DBS the well yes the modern the most modern uh, Aston that you can actually buy as well so you know obviously Aston Martin are supplying Mi6 with a, a wide range of cars
4: and you've got the there's two more forwards of course uh, in the book there's Michael G Wilson have you have you had uh, much dealings with Michael. I know it's um, been there no, well
6: I, I i we don't tend to I mean, michael occasionally kind of has wandered into the room i uh, eon have this most incredible meeting room which looks like something that you have to be inspector so like the scene in Thunderbolt <laughs> where everyone's sitting at the massive table and you go in and it's like you know it's it's got enough for a whole production office in there so i was having a meeting in there once when michael walked in with um, david Partner. Just to show him. No, oh, right. Um, wow, so, I mean, I've tough, uh, met him a couple of times, but he doesn't really um, he doesn't get too involved in the sort of uh, the level of stuff that we're doing. He's 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 not too involved, or or Barbara for that matter. But yes, yeah, so but he was very gracious to to give us an introduction as well, and then of course Daniel. Yeah, Daniel's going forward. Yeah, who wrote Which a beautiful really forward for us.
4: Do you think it will be as associated with him as it is with Sean going forward now?
6: I think um, that's a good question about Bond. I mean, not just about DB five. I mean, I think every uh, everybody has their own kind of touch point for Bonders to to when it was important to them. And I think it is it's sort of largely a function of age. I know a lot of people who are a little bit younger than me. I mean, I grew up with Roger Moore, but for me, I've always been I was always a Connery man. You know, it's, it's that that that. And, but then, to me, Daniel Craig really rivals Connery. You know that they are, to me, they're the two kind of really golden eras of Bond. But there's a lot to recommend. You know, all the Bonds at different points. If you're enjoying
5: Really
4: 007, why not follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram? Look us up at Really
5: 007 Pod. Every Bond has a defining car which is really strange to say, but Connery has the DB five Brosnan has the, um, the, v- the Vantage, uh, I almost said Vantage then I don't want to make the awful pun. Um, <laughs> Dalton of course has the V8 and I think Craig's has, has become the DB five, you know, you just go back to Skyfall with the, yeah, the posters they had, they did the photo shoot in Scotland as well. And I, I think it has become synonymous with him. And there's something about where, well, and it sounds quite bonkers, eh? but the, the car just, just whatever reason it, it just works for that bond, that I couldn't imagine, I don't know if this sounds I mean, anyone could drive a DB5, but I just think there's something about Connery and Craig in that DB5. And I think Dalton could easily drive a DB5, but that V8 is just so perfect for him. It, it's a really interesting conversation with those like defining, I guess, cars with the actors.
6: They're definitely, I mean, Connery apparently found the DB5 quite an uncomfortable car. Because he is a, a, big guy, you know, he's a very big guy. <laughs> I mean, on the, it, not as, I mean, on, and you only live twice, it's even worse than that. They actually had to cut yeah. the roof off the Toyota in order for him to get into it. And so that's why that's like the only convertible ever made of that car. It's true. That's a true story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. He was like this. He was kind of like Mr. Incredible, hunched over the wheel, and they, he looked terrible. So they cut the roof off. But, you know, the DB5 is, I mean, if you see them in real life, they're really quite small. You know, you, it's it's a very stripped down car. Whereas if you see that V8, uh, it is just such a kind of, it's like a, one of the few sort of British muscle cars. It's like a great big throbbing car that is full of energy. And, and strength and I don't think I mean as well made as those films are I think that doesn't quite come over as much in the films as it does when you actually see one in real life and yeah I mean the Lotus is you know it's classic classic Roger Moore isn't it it's uh, drop a fish out the window as you drive out of the sea <laughs>
4: that's so Roger isn't it and in, a, in, a, in a moment you could, if you could uh, sort of epitomise what his bond was that is it isn't it
6: yeah don't worry if it doesn't quite make sense it's very funny <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny and mean? it makes you smile yeah you know
4: there's huge leaks in the car then, so it wouldn't work. Yeah, but yeah. We love it. But, yeah, so, I mean, Thunderball, going back to Thunderball, mm. it wasn't in it too much because, obviously, the main star of the pre-Tartle Seeker pack, pack. is the, the Rocket League yeah. pack. And it comes the, back, uh, worth with the the DB five.
6: I think. I mean, they didn't. They were they were slightly caught out by the the popularity of the DB five. You know, as I say, I don't think anyone had originally intended for it to be in Thunderball. But when they saw the response to it in Goldfinger, it was like, well, we've got to get the car back. We've got to get the car back. What else can it do? You know. And then it has uh It does have a slightly amazing piece of logic. But the amount of water it pumps out actually has a yeah. fire engine stepping <laughs> yes, by so. to get enough water there to pump it through, which you can see in the. Um,
4: it's a great photo of that. You can see the the fire hose underneath the car.
6: <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, there's a lot of water in that car. It's like you know, that's uh, it's quite a small a boot, quite a small yeah. trunk. <laughs> but yes, I mean, it, and of course, as we said, it, it went off on its world tour at that point, and you know, Connery drove to the the premiere in Paris in a DB5, and he's oh. getting mobbed. And there, again, there are pictures of that in the book. It, it does become this kind of massive deal in the space of really 18 months and then you know i think you're right they did kind of worry that it's like well it's it's not what do we do for that what do we do to top this where do we go from here uh, you know let's have a i mean you only live twice obviously had a it didn't make much sense that he would ship that out to no Japan, but he has little nelly instead you know it's like oh. the, that that whole thing of like how do we top how do we top goldfinger which is i mean you know Still, a question that every filmmaker who's making an action movie probably should ask themselves: How can I do better than Goldfinger? Well, I don't think many, if any, people have succeeded.
4: The DB five is a big thing of that. That the reason I think people love it so much is it not only is it a beautiful car on its own, but you believe that it could do that. You believe, that
6: well, like it did. Control. I mean, all of yeah, well, those things yeah, worked. Could. I mean, yeah, okay, yeah. it wasn't real bullets in it, but but you know, everything that it uh, it did, it did for real. Yeah. And, and you all of those real. that really fit in the car,
5: yeah. And it yeah, outshines yeah. the Rolls Royce as well from that film, which is that's yeah. not an achievement many cars could ever <laughs> do, <laughs> but that one does. And I think yeah. that just adds to the Goldfinger versus Bond rivalry.
6: Yeah, and it looks. I mean, Connery just looks so cool. In that film as well. And that photograph of him leaning against the car oh, yeah. is one of the most iconic photographs it really uh, is. from a film, let alone a Bond film. Yeah.
4: If you, I
6: definitely need a poster
4: of that up soon. But, this, yeah, the, it's the Firca Pass one, isn't it? Yeah. And I know you can see it here, but, of course, Daniel Craig's got his own one in the Scottish Highlands as well, which is now... That's probably the most synonymous picture of him with the DV5, isn't it?
6: Yeah, I think so. I mean, the the, the you see the picture of him, I guess, but, yeah, with doing, it doing the donut, that picture's yeah. been, been there. Oh, yeah. Becoming a bit of a classic. So
4: normally for the films, they've had two, weren't there? There's, like, a prototype or possibly two.
6: For oh, I mean, there are. there's a fantastic – one of my favourite pictures in the book is from Matera where they've got, like, nine. Well, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> <It's still laughs> over and around in, like, the question mark. Yeah. So Kerry Fukunaga
4: was like, "No, no, we're gonna have we're gonna have to be, have a few more here, and it's such a tiny place, isn't it, to be doing all these stunts?"
6: I mean, the when you you also you'll 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 see if you when you get when you get the book, you have a chance to read it. You'll you'll understand how. Hold
1: up! What was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.
0: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care.
6: you know so when they shot i mean we were asking we were going through the eon archives and trying to get everything they possibly could and we were saying well are there any storyboards for the goldfinger sequence did anyone storyboard and um meg who's the archivist she says oh i don't know i've never seen anything she contacted um one of uh, peter peter lamont and he said oh no we didn't have time to do storyboards we just (laughs) you know well we just wrote it down worked it out but it's fine and now you know i mean and there are storyboards in here even you know there are storyboards from from goldeneye there are storyboards from uh, no time to die or from skyfall certainly yeah. in here and you realize how things change and that uh, you know there's that one shot again it's it's in here there's that one shot in skyfall where the the rocket hits it and they built that quarter scale model just for that yeah shot, just for that shot and it's it's on screen for like less than a second And there was a scrap porsche wasn't there for one of the some and then yeah and then you see the when you see like the carcass as it were that yeah, is, yeah yeah that's
5: what that is so i good. think the fact that they can essentially kill off a, a car in, in a film and have such a reaction at the time which it did i remember <laughs> yeah. Watching yeah, yeah one of my friends and we, no. we both looked at each other like not not the dv5 and then i think the fact that then craig reacts to it and you get a, a big set piece from it i think it just adds to them knowing the knowledge firsthand that this is an iconic thing. And it was a very risky thing to blow up the DB five. And I'm, I'm, and it worked. I think it worked. Well, then well,
6: you, but you can fix a DB five, you know, you can, yes. you can't, you can't fix a DB five. <laughs> exactly. Um, oh, I think, yeah. but, it, but it also, it has, I was going to well, say similar. this earlier, it has that incredible moment. So the thing is, we're all so familiar with DB five. We all know what it means when it appears on screen. And then there's that, moment when he's driving em up to scotland and he like he just implies that he might eject her and he doesn't have to say there's an ejector seat he doesn't have to do anything you just see him move his finger over the gear gear stick and we all know what that means and i don't think there's any other film franchise where that could be true
1: well, and i suppose
0: that's completely inconspicuous
6: get in very comfortable is
4: it are you going to complain the whole way
0: oh go on then eject me see if I care where are we going
4: back in time somewhere we'll have the advantage that again that got an amazing reaction at the cinema and it's it's easy to see why isn't it what do you think about the continuity of of the the DB5 do you think it's a bit like you know, you can have a new actor, can't you, uh, as a new Bond, and no no one sort of really mentions that it's a new actor. The DB5 is, like, continued throughout
6: the 80s, the hasn't it? And you don't really need to explain why, I suppose. I mean, continuity in Bond is a, you know, it's a tricky yeah. question. I mean, yeah. up until, obviously, when you get to Daniel Craig, and it's like it's a hard reboot, it's like, no, nothing that you ever saw before has happened to this Bond. You know, we, this is his day one. And, and I think that was a shrewd move, because up to that point, you know that you have roger moore going and standing by tracy's grave you know so there is the suggestion that this is the same bond but you know he's he's aged remarkably well from (laughs) from going out to jamaica in 1962 to you know (laughs) going going to the ice ice in uh, die another day you know he he's he just doesn't quite make sense for him to be the same person but they never kind of formally like draw a line and go okay. Pierce Brosnan's Bond never married Tracy. You know that's a. Do you know, think that? Yeah. I don't know. I think in my own head that that's probably right. I mean, uh, it's we don't really. Matter. I don't think it really matters. No, it doesn't. Um, matter But I think you know that that to me, yeah. I guess for me, um, I imagine that sort of Dalton is is a new character to to roger moore but the whole roger moore connery thing there there is definite continuity i mean it's it's not something they bash you over the head with but it, it does feel i mean felix is a different person every time you see him of course yeah felix
4: is the one uh, <laughs> <laughs> at least you have the same one for daniel's films but yeah
6: yeah and and he came back david heddison came back in license to yeah it. yeah so you know he suddenly that- oh it's the same person again how did that happen yeah yeah yeah
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. So the hiatus we briefly mentioned that. Is, could you could you just tell us a bit more, Ben? What what on earth was the going on with the what car? happened it's to so the car? Wondered. It ends
6: yeah. up in front of a diner in Canada. It's bizarre. It gets bought, or whether well, a couple of them, but the, the main one gets bought and is actually on display outside a diner in Canada. And people come to people come and you know eat their burgers or whatever. And then the DB five is in the in the front drive. I mean, it's. It's an amazing thing. I mean, I think it's like you were saying, it stopped being the most modern car. It becomes this, like so there's this big, big deal, and it goes off on all the tour, and eventually the tour ends. And everyone's like, well, that's that's that, we've moved on. You know, Bond, Bond has different kind of cars now. He has, you know, cars become a, a sort of a big deal in the Bond film. You're always looking to see what the car is going to be. And there isn't always one but you know you're always looking when you go into a bond from you're waiting to see if our car does something but the DB5 they just you know i think everyone thought it was part of history you know the various cars are sold off you know there's a the long complicated story of what happened to the main one and you know even even today people are trying to to sort of say they know where it is and all of that and it having disappeared i think in the 90s it disappeared but yeah it just it, it it's 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 an extraordinary thing now i just think everybody would know where it was every minute but at the time it was like yeah i would sell it to a diner in canada you know <laughs> it's like, how strange is that
5: i think there's a story as well about the the aston martin from on her majesties um i can't remember the article i read what the source was but i think an australian ended up buying it and they, he didn't realize for years that it was that original yeah. screen used one and it's those incredible stories that i think it just shows you know the legacy of those films and because in the 60s as well they they were massive they were big of course but because they were still new films as well then they weren't i I would argue classic at the time In the same way we can look back at 50 years it's kind of thinking of like a franchise that's happening now like marvel we know it's going to be classic but you probably get marvel props that end up loose somewhere in the world today and i think it's really fascinating when you see the history of cinema how it changes and how bond is always at I, the forefront of it.
6: I think it's also that our relationship with cinema as as the the grand public has changed. So now the idea I mean I think with Marvel I mean, one of my my most bizarre moments in my life is getting to hold Captain America's shield. I did hand Thor's hammer over to my colleague Richard, who was obviously more worthy than I was. But you know those things are important now. And I think we know now the you know the db5 or i'm sure there's somebody in fact i know eon still owned the dbs from casino royale but they you know eon didn't even keep the car That's the thing. Now, I I just think that the studio would absolutely keep the car. They would, they would be using it just the way they did in the kind of marketing activations. You know, they would be like, "Okay, we'll we'll put it in a big corgi box and put it out at uh, backside, you know, out at the Battersea Power Station." And I don't think that was just. I just don't think that's how the world worked in the sixties or the seventies. You know, people just thought it was, you know, over and done with. You know, I mean, and, and you have things like the, you know, the, the, the whole kind of second life of the films being on TV doesn't even really kick in until the seventies, you know, that you're, that, that, so the way that we experience film and, and Bond is always at the forefront of that, as you say, has changed so much.
4: It is incredible, isn't it? And there's two little funny facts I found out in the hiatus that two other Bonds have driven it. So George Lazenby drove the DB5 for some TV return of the Man of Uncle in 1983 and then yeah. Roger had driven oh, it in the Cannibal Run and yes. there's a little sort of spoof to it with the ejector seat.
6: <laughs> yeah, yeah, well that's it I mean that shows you how closely associated Bond is with the with the DB5 that these these Bonds who'd never drove it in a Bond film, it's still kind of like, oh look it's James Bond because he's in the DB5. How do you show that Roger Moore is really James Bond, put him in a DB5 same thing with George Lazenby, you know mm.
4: When it came back for the Pierce Brosnan era, you know, we've already said that, of course, it, it was slightly different. And there was a, a third DB5, I think, for some of the shots. But it actually got damaged, didn't it? On the sort of chasey... Uh, yeah, there's a
6: picture of that. That's quite... Yeah, it's uh, nice. Oh, yeah. you're looking... Oh, oh! <laughs> yeah, pump of wing.
3: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I enjoy a spirited ride as much as the next
2: girl Who's that?
6: The next call. Yeah. And then you also, you can see like the difference in the camera technology as well, because we've got pictures in the book, and it's quite a famous picture of that with all the kind of camera mount on the front of the, on the front of the car. So you, you realize that, yeah, that, I mean, you were talking about that, like, you know, how I come, whether it's nine or seven DB fives they have in, in for no time to die. And, you know, the way that you film has changed the the what you can do and the fact that you might have one car set up to do one thing and another one to do another and if you want to riddle it with holes maybe you don't want to do that to your best car you know so it is a a sign of how how filmmaking has changed as well as films you know and there's, there's just the scale of things it's just beyond belief now
4: i think it's clear as well that it's bond's personal car you know it's not just some standard issue thing that he has in Thunderball I think do we see it's outside the the, the sort of health retreat place as well
6: yeah he then, takes it to, to yeah. yeah and then, in and Golden, then there's the yes, sequence so, with yeah. the bike as well
4: yeah that's a brilliant sort of misdirection isn't it because you think he's going to use all yeah. these gadgets on, on this uh, car that's chasing him. but then Fiona Volpe comes from nowhere and she's the one who uses these gadgets which is brilliant Goldeneye and and the two films on, of course, very briefly in Tomorrow Never Dies, you see it when he's brushing up on a little Danish, it's Oxford, yeah, and then there's the deleted scene from World Is Un Enough, but it's his car, isn't it? It's the one he's driving.
6: I know, to- I kind of never know whether James Bond has any kind of personal life outside working for my. <laughs> <It's laughs> like, you know, did he? And you know, he, obviously, he has access to enormous funds. Um, yeah, but I, I don't know that his salary is
4: going to be that great. I think it's Christopher Lee, maybe in the Man with the Golden Gun. You know that you know, why don't you work for me? You can earn some real money here compared to what you're doing for the government. you could be a hitman. And then, yeah, sort of Sean Bean is, is trying to make a load of money, isn't he? Basically far more than he did as an MI6 agent. So it is implied that whilst he has this high life with expensive suits, expensive cars, and all this places he goes to, he's not actually
6: earning anything like as much money
4: as he could be doing, right? which is in new- <laughs> killing
6: people. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> in the books he of course he is a man of independent means. He owns property in Jamaica. Rather like Ian Fleming. Surprise, surprise. I mean, in the films, he, films in the Daniel it. Craig films, he does seem to have a kind of a serious number of cars stashed away in lockups yeah. around the place. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's like you, you imagine right, there's, a, there's another lockup somewhere with a Lotus in it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. It did get quite a few cheers when he unveils the the car from the living daylights in the... Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like the same
5: uh, It's exactly garage. the same. You back, the same it's right. very,
4: it's
6: uh, no, it's in a different place, so it it shouldn't be the same yeah. lockup. I don't know if they use the same top all, and They might have done that. I mean, they definitely echo the shot deliberately. Yeah. Because again, you're set up to think there's going to be another DB5 under there, and it's like, oh no, he has yeah. he has another Aston Martin. <laughs> <laughs> you both,
4: of course, went to the premiere, so th- there was one of
6: the DB5s on show, wasn't there? Did you, do you know which one that was, Ben? I don't actually. I it, it was very very crowded mm-hmm. though, the premiere, as you will uh, as you can imagine. So I'm. Um, I'm in the fortunate position of having seen the DB5 quite a lot, so I was like, "Oh yeah, there's the DB5." But I didn't, uh, I didn't even check the number plate. Actually,
5: they had um, um, at the top of the stairs. I mean, there was two areas. So yeah, I think the official entry, for, like the 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 guests, like you, Daniel Craig's. and I think they had a V8 there and a normal DB5. Mm-hmm. Then at the top of the stairs, well, certainly they had the damaged DB5. Um, from the film as like a photo op for everyone
6: yeah certainly on a spectre they had the the db10 DB. uh, i remember the db10 was just like i mean i mean db5 is um a beautiful car but it's one that we're kind of familiar with whereas the db10 is like this kind of futuristic work of art and you know it, it, it was i remember being really struck by that and then you did know there were only 10 of those so you know you know that you're looking at the the screen used one but yeah, I mean, I mentioned it would be one of the Eon cars. So um, they have a couple now. They
5: had, uh, as well, this was a, a really weird side, side story. When the film finished, we, I mean, my friend that I went with, we ended up at the, the VIP exit, not quite sure how, how still, but where like Rami Medic was, Hammond Zimmer and all that. And we turned a corner and there was the Aston yes, Martin lorries. We said, oh, okay, they're putting the DB5s back in. But then they had the Goldfinger Rolls Royce. I was like, hold on, what's that doing here? Oh. And I think there was like other cars there that they just didn't get to put out. And I think they might have oh, even have Cubby Broccoli's Rolls-Royce as well from... It View to turns Kill.
6: up in a couple of films, it's in A View to a Kill. Mostly. Yeah, yeah so.
5: so there was loads more hidden at the back of the the event. Now, whether I don't know if there are other parts of a carpet, but it's amazing. What- well, I think they're all going back to Bewley.
6: Yeah, there's the, obviously the, there was the Bond in Motion exhibition, there was the original yeah. exhibition. You know, so they have they have been making much more use of the cars
5: than they did in the past. Because There's a new No Time to Die exhibition. I think the, the big one's gone to the States for a year and I think they've opened up a smaller one in Beauty for No Time to Die. So, I mean, not that there's too many new ones in the film. I know they've got the, the Destroyer DB5 and I think they were talking about the, I don't know if there's an official term yet for the, 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 the glider at the end. I don't know if that's got a formal Bond title yet, but oh, I don't know. It'd, be, uh, it'd be interesting. Interesting to see because it's a shame they shut down Bond Emotion in London because I really wanted to go. I didn't realise they'd shut it over the last few years. And it makes sense yeah. to, sh- no, to ship it, it to America, I, I think. But I'd imagine maybe next year for the sixth year if they'll probably maybe get it back in London or at Beaulieu for the anniversary month or something.
6: I'm sure they'll do something.
4: I'm sure Ben might know something, but he, he isn't allowed to say.
6: I'm certainly <laughs> not allowed to say certain things. <laughs> I was, funny enough, talking to him yesterday, yesterday about what might be happening for the sixtieth, year. But uh, it's all still to be fine. Of by. course.
4: So, yeah, when, when you watch the premiere. Ben.
6: Just tell us what you what you thought of the film. I'm interested I to get opinions. Yeah. I love the film. I mean, I think that the, the thing I loved about it was that from the word go, I thought this is a film about something. You know, I mean you know when you go and see a Bond film that you're gonna see phenomenal stunts. You know it's gonna look beautiful. I mean, particularly since um particularly since Skyfall when Roger Deakins came on board. That, you know, they really recognise the importance of making the films look stunning. So you kind of know it's going to have those production values and you know it's going to have amazing, amazing action sequences. You know, not all Bond films deliver to the same degree, I think, is that emotional connection. You know, and for me, you know, Casino Royale had done that and Skyfall does that in spades and this also delivered that. But you could kind of, I had that feeling from the beginning that the, the, okay this is this is going to add up to something you know there's gonna I mean obviously didn't know how it was going to end because <laughs> Leon had told me but it, yeah I felt absolutely engaged from the from the from the first moment and that's always a really good sign for me I,
5: what kind of adds that I know that some people might want to know the ending before but would you say it's a bit of a gift for this film more than any other that you didn't know the ending I would I mean I I would say to anyone I would say go and read you only live twice
6: don't see it, read it. Because what amazes me about the the Bond films is how they still manage to find bits from the books that haven't been used. Saffin's Poison Gun is from is from the book, You Only Live Twice. And in fact, the ending is pretty similar to the end of You Only Live Twice, which we all know had a sequel. Though I guess Bond films have kind of been doing it the wrong way around, where Skyfall is, you know, he, he comes back from the dead in Skyfall.
4: I think it's been amazing as well that people haven't spoiled it. Yeah, I've, I've seen very little of that, thankfully. On you know, on social media, uh,
6: even now. I mean, I'm being cautious yeah. because I am mean, assuming everybody's seen the film now, but perhaps not. I mean, Australians, you
4: know, you know they're, they're, <laughs> the, the Antipodeans won't have seen well. They probably will do by the time this is out. I think I heard somebody. I think it might have been um, Simon Mayo and Mark Commode compare it to the Mousetrap. We do ask that you <laughs> leave the theatre and do not reveal the secret of the Mousetrap, but it's it's almost become that, but. There's, there's loads of other sort of things, you, massive things that happen in the.
6: film. There are yeah, there are. I mean, it's it's a it's a film, and I do I don't assume that everybody's seen it. So you know, I, I it's. You don't have to say. But. It's a film that, but I think it's a film that moves the franchise and moves Bond on, and it's a hundred percent a film that does things that no other bond film has ever done yeah
5: yeah i'm quite similar with that i, I think i mean on our video we went four hours somehow still <laughs> we're on uh, Ray w 7s length but it was one of them to me where <laughs> i think because so so many things have been done what can you do that's not already been done and i know that they have to have yeah. that approach i guess for every film for stunts for, for whatnot but I think at the moment i don't mind saying you got the opening barrel where you get a zoom into the snow like okay, mm-hmm. this isn't bond. This is going to be someone different. And we've not had this in a very long time. And I, I, I think I'm a massive, uh, Carrie Fukunaga fan. So I had a bit of bias heading into the film, but it's really interesting. And I'm cause I love my box office numbers. I get really nerdy with stuff like that every week. It's so exciting to, to look at those charts because the pandemic has essentially wiped out the box office. <laughs> and it's, it's UK box office wise is just overtook an Avengers Endgame, which I never saw coming in a million miles post pandemic. And I know it's not done as it's still done well in America, but Sony got smart and released Venom the week before, and Venom is the one that's made most of its money in America. And it's really exciting to see the box office numbers. Yes, it's past six hundred million at the time of recording, and I think I thought this would have hit five hundred and be done, but this is still going. This is breaking records here, and as said, we've still got some territories that don't have it. And even added to that, we're getting the Blu-ray before Christmas, which is insane to think it's exciting because i'll be able to get it quickly but it's it, it's amazing what you know we waited two years and then you're getting the film in a blu-ray in the space of three months which is remarkable
6: again sign of the way the world has changed you know you'd yeah. be like back and you saw goldfinger you'd be like i hope they show this in the cinema again you know yeah you'd go you and would, see the double bill with thunderball um, yeah a
4: year later. i think it, whatever the box office though it will be the most talked about film of the year and it will be a massive success, you know, going forward, and it will always be remembered as a massive Bond film. I think so. I don't, I don't think Eon have to worry about anything like
6: that. But. Oh no! I mean, I think creatively, it's it's a great success, and you can't ask for more than that. You know, I mean, Bond films. Everyone's going to revisit every Bond film. So even if the cinemas are shut and no one's going to the, no one's going, it's still going to be. It's still a big deal, you know. Yeah, and people will still see it, and people will still be moved by it and people like you said will talk about it because it, it does also i think it really turns those those daniel craig films into a single story really i think it really sort of successfully delivers on that in a way that i think they were reaching for inspects but didn't quite deliver so i think it, it, it's 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 a really sort of satisfying conclusion to the to the daniel craig saga
4: and it also gives a fresh slate, doesn't it, now, going forward. we can do pretty much well, whatever And a was. big
6: challenge. Where do you go from here? Of course. I mean, you know, how do you top Goldfinger? Where do you go from uh, No Time to Die? Big questions.
4: They'll do it. They've done it before. I'm right. sure they'll manage it. They <laughs> just don't have to wait too long. That's the main worry.
6: <laughs> well, it's hard work. If I'd if i if is, if yeah. I'd been involved in making one of these, I'd, I'd definitely want to lie down for a couple of years afterwards.
4: Yeah. well... We, we say, of course, you know, Daniel gets fed up with all the attention and everything sometimes because it's such a massive role to have on your shoulders, but Sean Connery, think of doing all those films every year, no breaks whatsoever, going to places like Japan and people mobbing you and well, there's a people, reporters come into his room at night and all sorts of stories like that. You can understand, can't you, why it, it got too much for him, certainly. I mean, we, we all say we'd love to be Bond and... But we, you, you can't possibly know what it's like. Only seven, sorry, six
6: people have have ever had that privilege, haven't they? Yeah, very, very hard work. I tell you, <laughs> just from a distance. Not that I really know, but just looking, yeah, you can yeah. see how much hard work it is. And I think the that, shoulders that's are, the only become, are
4: on you, it. aren't they? You, you know, you're you're responsible at the end of the day. Uh,
6: but also, I mean, you can't eat properly for nine months. You know, no. <laughs> you keep no, your body no. in that shape now. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you and you can't. You know, you can't. Uh, can't have one drink too many in a restaurant, you know. Yeah, everybody looks at you and thinks you're James Bond. There must be people who want to hit you, you know. I mean, uh, just,
1: you know,
5: no. <laughs> I mean, hard work, hard work. And, and he <laughs> we'll leave it to the profession. Even the actors yeah. that aren't Bond, like any young British actor does well in a drama with a bit of a grit, and there's the article the next day. Mm. This is the new Bond, and suddenly that actor <laughs> is getting shadowed twenty four seven. And I know the Marvel films coming out Eternals, and there's this amazing interview Richard Madden on the red carpet, and some randomer just says to him, you know, oh, uh, you've done the bodyguard? Are you playing James Bond? And his publicist just steps and says so he's not answering that question, and he kind of did this lovely smile and walked off and you know the, the pressure <laughs> it's anyone quite short richard man yeah he's not a tall man he's well i, I would love him not, not to get into that conversation but i, I think with <laughs> with eon you know i i've not really you know i was 10 when casino came out i remember hearing about craig but this will be the first time i get to witness that the whole process of a new yeah. bond and whatever happens next they they have in incredibly tough boots to fill but it's just amazing seeing you know some of the names that 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 come and go with it and i I think henry golding's one and henry golding bond henry golding bond and then he did a film that wasn't well received and that's all gone zip quiet and it's a fascinating (laughs) process it it must be unbearable for, for eon as well who are actually trying to do their job amongst doing this to find someone but I think
6: they just don't pay too much attention to it. Nah. you know, I mean, I, I'm sure they have some ideas, but it will be, it won't just be like, oh yeah, you know. I think the only time that they have known 100 percent who they wanted was with Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, with Pierce Brosnan, they because they he was cast, and then Timothy Dalton came. You know, because of all the whole Remington Steel nonsense. But every other time, they've like, no, we know what we want to do. We know what kind of actor we want. But we're just going to find the best actor we possibly can, yeah. and I think uh, I mean yeah, yeah, I mean Daniel Craig just took that to the next level for me.
4: Well, they've learned though from Casino Royale as well that despite everybody having a go at him before they'd even seen him in a film, just wait until you've seen the film before you you judge it. So whoever is, I, cast, nobody has any hired. doubts.
6: Nobody has yeah. any doubts about Daniel Craig now. Yeah. You know,
4: no. Well, that's that's what I mean. You know, you've got to you've got to wait until. Well, no, you don't even have to wait to see his legacy. You just needed to wait until you'd seen him on screen, didn't you? Yeah. Um, (laughs) So whoever is cast, whatever bad press they
6: they get will go away. they're, they're, They're right. You know what? I mean, there are people who will always say how much they hate something before they know anything about it.
5: Yeah, I think Michael Keaton is Batman's a famous one, and that's heading back to the eighties. Yeah, You know, I I think every time it happens, there's somebody somewhere that dislikes it that's got a loud opinion, and we'll get it for the next one, whoever it is, someone somewhere Mm -hmm. will moan. But I think history's repeated itself in more than just Bond. You know, I think Heath Ledger's joke is another perfect example uh, of some people believing they can cast things better than those that do it for a living. So, yeah, it's (laughs) it's going to be it's going to be an experience, but. I'm I'm excited, but at the same time, I'm kind of good because you know, growing up with Craig's Bond for me as a side piece, you know, I was a very sort of important part of my life studying the films and whatnot as well. It's kind of sad to him go, like he's been this peripheral figure for, for mm. 15 years and I love him as an actor uh, and I think, not don't want to sit there and say he's got happiness, but he's doing Macbeth on stage next year already and he's got Knives Out stuff, so it's really interesting to see what he's going to now be able to do with with a closed door on the franchise.
6: Yeah, and I think that's, you know, he he's daniel's a very um versatile and very powerful actor and i think he will have a you know he'll do great work whatever happens i think you know but but once you've been james bond you're always james bond
5: yeah <laughs>
4: Before we go, Ben, I just wanted to just ask, what are your projects in the fire? You've got a couple of these more James Bond books, as well as the DB five one out. Yes,
6: yeah, so we've got the film guide, which tells you what happens. No time to die. That's yeah, it does tell you. Right. The, oh, that's okay. why it's not out yet. Wow. So the film guide is the it's a kind of kind of encyclopedia, kind of scrapbook full of beautiful pictures. It covers every all twenty five Bond films, and you know allows you to remember which film odd job was in or which job jaws which film jaws was in all that kind of stuff or Gabinda. much we can get more much oh. obscure and it has it's it's a beautiful book again lots of fantastic pictures in and i think you know it's it's a perfect book for the 60th anniversary next year so there are as i say the db5 book it, it's probably the thing i'm proudest of of having been involved with i mean i i i It's not for me to say, but I am going to say I think it's the best Bond book that has ever been published. Um, Brilliant! It's just—I wouldn't disagree with you. It is wonderful, and I'm not—I don't know an awful
4: lot about cars, and that's—I found it fascinating just to learn how these things are done and all the stuff that is is done to bring this to the screen. It's
6: fascinating. Yeah, and it's just—I mean—it's got beautiful pictures in it. It's, yes, it's a it coffee does, table. Yeah. I mean, it does have have lots of very interesting words in it, but it, it's, <laughs> it's also yeah. an incredibly beautiful book. And I, I, I—you know—there are times when you work on something and it just comes out better than you ever imagined. And this is for me. This is one of those times, you know, when I when we first sat down and tried to plan this book, and we're like, okay, we'll put this and we'll put that in. that. And then you get to the end and you look at it and you go, wow, we made this. So I'm I'm amazed, you know, intensely proud of it. And I just really hope that people people like it. You know, (laughs) it's you know, it's it's well, that's the thing about anything creative. You make it and then you put it out there and you hope people like it. We'll be championing it then. Don't worry. But just tell us. (laughs) <laughs> just tell us how you can buy it. Actually,
4: uh,
2: from stuff?
6: bookstores, bookshops everywhere. I hope. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's um, Amazon are discounting it. I think at the moment, not not massively like some of our books, but it's quite helpfully. You can always buy it from us. So we're shop.eaglemoss.com. But yeah, I mean, I, I, as I say, I think it's a fantastic subject, and I think the book turned out better than we could ever have imagined. So you know, I, I, I really want people to to own it and enjoy it, and and not just say so that it makes money so we can make something else. <laughs>
4: But it's it is a hardback book, everybody. It is. Oh, it's yeah. Know, it's not one of these. Oh, wait for the paperback. No, no. It's a proper yeah. picture book that's massive, and will be something that you'll show to your children and your grandchildren. I think. I think it's. Lovely. I
6: think it's the best possible Christmas present you could buy anyone. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that bit in. Don't worry. Ben. Uh, yeah, yeah. I hope that comes. I hope this podcast comes out before Christmas. Be like yeah, going yeah, yeah, I'll yeah, wait. Yeah. I'll wait another ten months before I buy it.
4: Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Thank you, Ben, so much for for joining us tonight. It's not been a pleasure. We always love talking James Bond, and we haven't really dwelt much on the, the DB5, but I think we all love it, and we, we can't wait to see where Aston Martin and E.ON and your publishing company go in the future. I think it's going to be a fascinating few years for the James Bond franchise.
6: Oh, thank you. I hope so. I hope so. I've just realised something, actually. piece of trivia. The DB5 has now been in more Bond films than any Bond, any particular oh, Bond wow. actor.
4: Right, yeah. Yes, it has, hasn't it? Because Roger did seven, yeah, so it's been in... It has been an eight then, yeah. Well yeah, if, if you, you, you include, include one, the <laughs> Yeah, well I'm including that. I'm including that. Because Roger didn't make a cameo in another Bond film, so
6: it's definitely done more than <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, so it's every bit as much the star of the films as any 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 Bond actor.
4: The car's the star. Very good. Thank you, Ben, for joining us. Thank you, George, as well. We've loved having you and we look forward to chatting more James Bond very soon. So good evening, gents. Good night.
5: Good night. night. Really? <laughs> the best.